Hello and welcome to this message from the river. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be going to a number of passages uh, of Scripture, and so get those handy. The first one we're going to go to is in Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read that uh, this morning. We're going to go from verses 9 to about verse 13, and then we'll pick up some more passages along the way uh, this morning. Today I'm going to conclude our series, uh, Committed to Contentment. We've been talking about contentment and uh, learning to be content And I hope and I believe a lot of you have come to me and said that it has been helpful to you, that that along the way you've learned some things that have been beneficial. And I hope at least it's given you pause and uh, given you a cause to think about Uh, You know, your response to the environment around you, the things that are happening to you, the changes that are perhaps taking place in your life, and uh, to choose contentment in those situations. Uh, And so I'm hopeful that it has been a blessing to you. I told you in the beginning that if this is not for anybody, it's for me. And the truth is, it has been definitely for me. I have learned a lot in studying and preparing, and I hope that uh, you have as well. And so our series text, let's look again at it in Philippians 4 and 11. And it says... I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Last week we talked about, or we began talking about dethroning illusions. We talked about the necessity for us to dethrone some of the ideologies and the paradigms of thought that that we possess. And I told you last week, and and I just want to say it again today, that all of us have uh, thought processes in our minds that that need to be sanctified. They need to be corrected. They need to be transformed. We need some adjustments made in our mindsets. I mean, uh, in the Scripture in Romans uh, 12 and 2, he says, Be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Why? How? By the renewing of your mind. I believe strongly that a big part of the sanctification process is done in your mind. It's where God begins to put His thoughts and they become your thoughts. And, and His ideas become your ideas. And His ways become your ways and, and my ways. And so we embrace Jesus in every way, shape, and form. And a big portion of that process happens in our mind. And for that to happen, we have to pull down some, some strongholds or some ideas or some paradigms or some illusions that we have embraced and, and, and bought into that the enemy has sold us. And a lot of times... Can I just say to you this morning that a lot of times what we've done is we've just believed a lie. We just bought into a lie that the enemy has told us. And so many of us walk around and our whole thought pattern is, is, is built upon a wrong premise. It's built upon uh, this, this, this concept that the enemy has placed in us that's just not true. It's just counter to whatever God has already spoken over our lives or what God has spoken to us in His Word. And if we don't dethrone those lies and we don't pull out those things that we have bought into and believe, then we're going to be stuck in a pattern that we can't get out of. And that's why the Bible says don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we need a renewal. We need a change. We need, we need God to sanctify our thought process and to, and to refine it along the way. Can I just say also that that's never going to end? 
That, that that's something that, that once you begin, you know, sanctification is a process that begins uh, at the point you receive Christ and it ends at the point where you meet Him. Okay, and it doesn't stop in between there. It just, it goes on and on and on and on and on it goes. You know what I mean? It just, it is, it is something that we've constantly got to listen and tune ourselves into what the Spirit of God is saying to us and adjust accordingly uh, to, to the truth that He has provided for us in His Word and what He also speaks to us uh, through personal interaction with Him. And so I just encourage you uh, to understand that and know that and, that and to think, don't think that because you have some fault thinking or because you've struggled in some areas that you're different from anybody else. You're in the same boat with all of us. And we're all just rowing towards truth and trying to get to the place where we can really understand what God wants for our lives and what God has provided for us. Because I believe that God wants the best for us. God desires the best for you. He desires to to open your heart to the blessings and the favor of God. And sometimes our thinking gets in the way of that. And so we need to adjust it. Now last week I defined illusions as concept or constructs of the mind that we have accepted as truth. They are an embraced paradigm of thought that causes us to act and react in such a way that we believe will provide for us the desires of our heart. We oftentimes are are set in our minds because we think that if we do things a certain way, that it's ultimately going to produce the kind of outcome and the end result that we desire. And a lot of times what we find is when we are doing that counter to God's Word, we are out of balance with Him, we are out of harmony with Him, and we are not operating in conjunction with Him. How many of you know that that you've got to be on the same team as God if you're going to be uh, experiencing the favor and the blessing of God in your life. You've got to be in, on, 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 uh, on the level with Him. You know what I mean? You've got, to, you've got to be on the same pattern as Him and on the same track as Him. And, and we need to conform ourselves to His image. I said to you that contentment is found when we have the courage to take a deeper look at our lives and dethrone illusions that we have accepted or created as truth. And so I'm just going to ask you to courage up today. I'm going to ask you to really dig deep this morning and for the next few minutes to really evaluate where you are as far as your thinking. Where is an area that perhaps you've allowed the enemy to come in and sell you on a, on a lie? You know, I deal with people on a regular basis who, who, have, who have bought into a lie. You know, they don't believe that God has anything for them. They don't believe that God loves them anymore or cares for them. They don't believe that anybody could ever want them. They don't believe that there's a purpose for them. They don't believe that, that, that God could ever have in, even imagined a plan or a destiny for their lives. And that's just not true. You've bought into a lie if you think that this morning. Because my God says, I know the plans that I have for you. They're plans to give you a hope and a future. He plans to bless you and to do His very best for you. We serve a God who gives good gifts to His children. I addressed last week the illusion of self-sufficiency and I talked about the fact that we need Jesus center to our lives and the fact that God not only created us to need and rely on Him, but He also created us to need and rely on His church as a body, as the body of Christ. He gave the church for us to be connected and together And to walk out life together. You need the church this morning. You need the body of Christ this morning. It's not enough for you to just have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because that very relationship is expressed and developed 
and cultivated how? Through the body of Christ. And that's how you grow. That's how you develop. And that's how you, ultimately you conform to His image. So, so this morning we're going to continue as I conclude uh, our series. And I'm going to finish up talking about dethroning illusions. Remember I said to you also that illusions are created when we embrace an unrealistic idealism that continually it drives our motivations. It continues to fortify its own position and creates over time more and grander illusions. Here's the thing about a lie, is that it, 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 it has to grow larger and bigger and more grander over time. It can't sustain itself without growth. And so it continually becomes bigger and larger. And you know, everybody knows people. And you, you can think about people in your mind that, that in the past you, you, you started out and they, they started thinking a little weird or they started thinking a little different. And then the, you go about a year or two years later and you meet them again and they are way off. They have gone way off uh, balance and way off to the other side. That's the way lies do and that's the way illusions do. They grow and they get grander and, and bigger over time. And so here's the question that I have for you. Is what's driving you this morning? What is driving your passion? What is driving your activity? What is driving uh, the very essence of who you are? What is it that is your motivating factor? Is it wealth? Is it ambition? Is it fear? Is it loneliness? Is it emptiness? What is it that is the driving force of your life? Because I can say to you with boldness and with confidence that if it's anything other than a relationship with Jesus Christ, the end result is going to be emptiness and disappointment and dissatisfaction and ultimately discontentment is going to be allowed to thrive in that environment because it's the only thing that can survive in that circumstance. You have to have a relationship with Jesus centered to your life. And so I'm going to talk to you about three more illusions that I think uh, seem to impact the Christian life most uh, last week we talked about self-sufficiency and to pull that illusion down that you're not an island, you're not by yourself, you're not alone, and you need other people. You need other people. I can sense that I still need to be pulling that one down a little bit in this house. But you need other people. And the sooner you come to grips with that reality, the better off your life's going to be because you don't know how Jesus is trying to bring things to you and how Jesus is trying to bless you unless you're open to the fact that He is using people to do that very thing. That's a good word. So let's continue. First thing I want to talk about this morning is the illusion of materialism. The illusion of materialism. We live in a materialistic world. Anybody know that? Very materialistic. A consumer-driven society where it's all about grabbing hold and getting more and, and building this and, and acquiring that and it's all about obtaining more stuff. And so value is often measured by what you have or what you own. You... you, you can't help but to some degree all of us even though many of us in this place I know are sanctified and holy and we don't do the things that just normal people do but but for some of those of you that haven't made it quite there yet you can't help but notice people based on what they have and how they act and and how they carry themselves and the things that they own we measure value a lot of times through that The illusion of materialism says this. It says, I have value because of what I have or what I have earned. It says contentment can be found once I have earned or gained enough. 
I'm going to read that to you again. Here's the illusion of materialism. This is the lie. It says that I have value because of what I have or what I have earned. It says that contentment can be found once I have earned or gained enough. Once I get to this place in my life, then I'll be happy. Once I get to this certain level of, of, of wealth or uh, acquired items, then, I, then I'm going to be happy. Once, once I finally achieve this place at my business or once I finally achieve this position at, at my corporation, then I'm going to be happy and I finally get to that place, then finally everything in my life will line up and just be exactly what I want it to be. It's also being destination-minded. Thinking that at this point in my life, when I finally get to retirement, or when I finally get that teaching uh, certificate that I've been looking for, or I finally get that uh, great job at my 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 business, that then I'm going to be happy, and I'm going to finally arrive at the place where I can be satisfied and content, and everything's going to be just fine. Here's what the Bible says from the Message Bible. Paul in Philippians four nine says this. He says, "Put into practice." What you have learned from me. Now, what is that? We talk about Paul. Paul's a guy that if you read his story, you realize that the man was drugged through it all. I mean, he's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. He's been left for dead multiple times. He's been stoned. He's been, he's been through the ringer, in other words. And he says, put into practice what you have learned from me. What you heard and saw and realized, do that. And God who makes everything work together... Aren't you glad you serve a God who makes everything work together for good? He says He will work into you His most excellent harmonies. I like the way it says that. His harmony. We need to be in harmony with God. Amen? We spend a lot of time working against uh, the very uh, harmonies of God, if you will, to, to put ourselves in a plan where we fit into His overall plan is what we desire to do. Verse 10 goes on to say, I'm glad in God. Far happier than you would ever guess. Happy that you're again showing such strong concern for me, not that you ever quit praying and thinking about me. See, even Paul recognizes that he needs the church. He says, you just had no chance to show it. Actually, here's where I want you to hone in. Verse 11. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little, I found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. He gives you the key right there. He says, it doesn't matter what I have or what I don't have. He says, the power of, of being content, the power of making it through adversity, the power of making it through the difficult situations of my life are found in knowing the one who makes me who I am. You are who you are today, not because of what you have or because of who you know, only because of the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. He is the one who created you. He is the one who formed you. And He is the one who makes you what you are today. So here's the bottom line that I want you to take from from the first one. Is that stuff won't make you happy. And you can't find contentment through gaining more stuff. And it will run you through the ringer if that is your pursuit in life. If your desire and your driving force is wealth and ambition, then you're going to find yourself always an empty hole waiting to be filled, hoping that the next big thing 
will make a dent in the emptiness of your life. And the truth is it won't. There's only one person that can fill the void that we have, and that's Jesus himself. There's a many a miserable man that have died rich and the owners of much. I said there's a many a miserable man who have died rich and the owners of many things. Why? Because they looked to stuff. They looked to materialistic gains to make them happy, and it's not found there. The enemy will try to convince you that the answer to dissatisfaction is always more. If I had a bigger car, if I had a bigger house, if I had a better job, if I just had more, if I had more this or more that, then I would be happy. Yes, I mean, those things can bring uh, a temporary happiness to your life, but they don't fill the hole that we have in our hearts. The answer is simply Jesus. And so if you're thinking that if I can just gain this thing or that thing or earn just a little more money, have the opportunity to obtain more, I'll be happy, then you're operating under an illusion that your happiness is tied to what you possess. And it's just not. The second thing that I want to talk to you about this morning is the illusion of busyness. The illusion of busyness. The illusion of busyness says if I stay busy and keep a lot of activity going in my life, that I can find contentment through accomplishment. If I stay busy, keep a lot of activity going on in my life, that I can find contentment through accomplishments. In other words, we believe ultimately that busyness equates to fruitfulness. And I'm saying to you today that it doesn't. Busyness is not fruitfulness. As a matter of fact, busyness often robs us from fruitfulness. And here's how I mean that. Have you ever been involved in so much that nothing was being done right? Well, I don't think anybody could argue that you were busy. But they could argue that you were fruitful, right? I mean, there's been times in my life and and even seasons now in areas of our lives where we are way too busy. We got way too much going on. And things that are important, things that should be getting the most of our attention, oftentimes get neglected. Why? Because we're just trying to keep up. We're just trying to keep moving forward. We're just trying to complete all this activity. And a lot of times it's just a failure to address what is really important and what is really meaningful in our lives. But we've thought and we buy into the idea that if we can just find the right activity or the right thing and, and stay busy and, and, and fill our time with things to do, that we can find contentment and satisfaction because we're involved in a lot of different things. Dan Allender says this, and I think this is such a great quote. Being busy seems like the polar opposite of laziness. But a busy person is not so much active as lost. A lazy person does little to nothing, while a busy person does almost everything. But the similarity is that both refuse to be intentional. Busyness is the moral equivalent of laziness. And that's a good thought. Now, if you come from my background, in my world, if you are doing nothing, you got way too much time on your hands. I didn't have the privilege of growing up without things to do. From the time we got up in the morning to the time we went to bed, my dad had a list as long as a well rope of things to do. 
and you think I'm kidding, I promise you it's the truth. He would wake us up. I hated, I hated spring break. You know what spring break was to me? It was work week. That's what it was. That just meant that Dad had us for the whole day instead of just portions of the day. And we would get up at 7 o'clock in the morning and we would work till it got dark at night. And that is a fact. We were doing fence. We were moving cows. And, and, and I'm telling you, and I love my dad. He taught me how to work and I appreciate that. But I think a lot of times we, we embrace an idea of busyness rather than being actual fruitful. Because we would do things like we would get all the cows up out of the field, put them in the pen, sort them out, and then put them back into the field they came out of. We had to have something to do. We, would, we rearranged hog pens. We, we rearranged them every week. We never got those things situated the way that we want them situated. They, those things had to be reorganized and changed constantly. And that was just, that was our life. Because why? Because if we were sitting around doing nothing, we were lazy. But the truth is, it's not about busyness. It's about being fruitful. It's about accomplishing something that actually matters and impacts other people's lives. Let's read what the Bible says in John 15 and 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, well, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Jesus clearly tells us that apart from him, we can do nothing. What is that apart from Him? That apart from Him, I think, embraces the idea that we work in harmony with Him. We work in conjunction with Him. That we discover our true purpose in life with Him. And that we spend our efforts and our energies toward accomplishing that purpose. God has a plan for all of us. God has a purpose for everybody in this room. He has something that He wants and desires for you to do that He created you for. And true happiness and contentment is fine in connecting with that reality and with that truth that God has. You know, I look at the, the story of the parable of the talents. Many of you know that, and I don't have, for sake of time, I won't read that this morning, but, but you know the story. The man who is the, the landowner, the businessman, he comes, and he's going to be gone for a while. And so he brings his three servants up, and he says to one, he says, I'm giving you five talents, and while I'm gone, I want you to produce. I want you to bear fruit with them. I want you to duplicate them. And so he gives them five. And he comes up to another guy and he says, You, I'm giving you two. While I'm gone, I want you to produce with those two. And he, to another one, he gives one. The five, the man with five talents comes back and produces five. The man with two goes and produces two. The man with one decides, however, he's going to bury his and hide it because he's worried that when the landowner comes back, he's going to be angry with him. And so he doesn't want to lose it. He's afraid, and so he's operating out of fear. And so he buries it. And so the one with five comes back and he says, Hey, I gained five. And he says to him, Well done, good job, way to go, I'm proud of you. And let me give you some more because you've been faithful for what I've given you. The man with two comes back and he says, I gained you two. And he says, Well done, good job, I'm proud of you. He says, Let me give you some more because you've been good with what I've given you. And so now I'm going to give you a little bit more. But the one with one comes back and he says, I knew you was a hard guy. I knew you was, was a hard case. 
And I didn't want to lose what you gave me. So I took it and I buried it. And here's what is yours. And I'm giving it back to you. Stephen Furtex says this in Crash the Chatterbox. He says that we comfort ourselves by insisting that while our lives might not be very fruitful, at least we're being faithful. He goes on to say that this is not God's idea of faithfulness, just just being here, just being consistent, just just taking care of, of what it's been given to me and not losing anything. But he actually incorporates the idea of God's faithfulness includes fruitfulness. God expects us to be producers for the kingdom. He doesn't expect us to take the talents that we've been given and to go bury them and hide them somewhere and never use them for the sake of advancing the kingdom or impacting someone else's lives. You are required and charged by the grace and will of God and the truth of God's word to impact somebody else's life. To touch someone and to change them. To make a difference and to lead them ultimately to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the interaction that we have with someone should do just that. The fruits that we bear should desire for them to taste and see that the Lord is good. We have to be careful that the fruit that we're giving off is just that. That it is causing people to taste and see that the Lord is good. That it's not turning their stomachs. That we're not just producing lemons. That's sour. And every time somebody takes a bite of that, they're soured on the relationship. They're soured on who Jesus is to us. But we're producing something that they can taste and see that God is good and that God desires to have a relationship with them and they should desire to have one with Him. The man's lack of fruitfulness in the passage that I'm telling you about in the parable of talents is uh, it's brought about by the end that he he receives. And it says in Matthew 25 and 26, it says this. It says, But the Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. God's idea of faithfulness does not just mean that we come to church on Sundays and show up faithfully. That's that's good and that's necessary, but that's not it. God's idea of faithfulness means that people's lives are being touched by our lives, that they're being impacted. If you, you can say nothing about the wicked servant except you can say this, you can say the guy was faithful, right? I mean, he when the master called, he showed up to work. When the master gave him a talent, he... He kept the talent. He didn't lose it. He went and buried it and he was faithful with that. He he brought it back and returned it to him. He even showed back up to give an account for his life. So if anything, he was faithful. Faithfulness is not the issue with this guy. It's fruitfulness. He didn't produce anything with what he had. And so God has not called us just to be busy, church. He's called us to be fruitful. Not just faithful, but fruitful. He says in John 15 and 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so then people will know and you will be my disciples. Not just Christians, but disciples. And there's a a difference. And the difference is simple. It's depth. It's depth. It's maturity. 
It, it's a deepness of understanding of God's word that separates you from being just a Christian to being a disciple. And I can promise you, and I believe this with all my heart, that God has not called any of us to be Christians. He's called us to be disciples. Amen. The last illusion that I want to talk to you about today, because I know my time is getting away from me, is the illusion of control. The illusion of control. It says this. It says, the more I can control and hold tightly to, the better off my life will be. This illusion is oftentimes based in fear and is rooted in painful situations of the past that were out of the person's control. If you've ever been through a bad breakup or you've ever been through a bad situation with your job, the normal response to that is, I'm going to control everything in my world so that that never happens to me again. But can I tell you that control is just an illusion? That you can't control anything, really. The only thing you can really control is your attitude and your response to situations in your life. And that's something that God has given you control over. But the rest of your world is really out of your control. You can't control how your husband treats you. You can't control how your wife reacts. You can't control how your kids do. You can't control the economy. You can't control our president. You can't control... I should have got some amens on that one. You can't control anything around you and, and to try to do that to try to do that only exerts energy and efforts and misplaces your 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 energies into the wrong places the reality is that you really can't control much we all have things that are out of control things that happen to us or people we love that we wish would never have happened i wish you know there's people in my life i wish they'd act different i wish there's people in my life i wish they would would uh, take better care of themselves and, and, and different things. And we all have that. I wish some things were different at the church. I wish some things were different at other places that I'm involved. I, you know, there's, there's all kinds of places that we wish things were a little different or a little better. And, and our tendency to try to control them and try to, to strain out any, any uh, variation is an illusion. A lot of times these things are driven by a lot of if I only had done... If I'd only done different, my kids wouldn't have acted this way. And so in the future, I'm going to make sure that I control that aspect. And so my first kid's been wild and crazy, and so my second one, I'll keep them locked up in the house. It's true. My first marriage went in the tank because of this, and so my second one, I guarantee it ain't going to happen again. It's so true. And we, we let these things take hold of our lives. We think that if we will control some of these situations that I can guard myself against getting hurt. And the reality is that the only one that we can put full control in the hands of is Jesus Christ himself. And until we surrender control, he's not going to take control. He's just not that kind of God where he just comes in and takes over your life. I wish to God above he would. I've asked him multiple times, please just do it. But he wants you to surrender the control to him. Jesus said this in response to that kind of thinking in Matthew 16, 25. He says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. 
but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, when we try to control everything in our circumstances and situations, we're going to lose it. But if we will lose it into the hands of our Savior, whose strong hand is able to handle whatever you place in it, we will never lose it. The message reads it like this. It says, self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, and it's my way, to finding yourself your true self. It is only through surrendering control to God and trusting Him with the things that are important to us that we really put them in a secure place. When we try to hang on to things and not trust Him with them, inevitably we will lose them. You want your kids to be healthy and whole, put them in the hands of God. You want your marriage to last and work and and go well, then put it in the hands of God. You want your job to be what it's supposed to be, Put it in the hands of God. That's the only way it's going to work. Here, Dan Allender says this. He said, here's the tragedy. That power and control are a high-flying trapeze that takes you farther and farther above the ground with each swing. The greater your achievements, the harder it is to let go. But you gain true confidence only when when you force yourself to let go. And confidence in the goodness of God is what you really need. Much more than you need any false sense of control. But you will trust in the goodness of God only to the degree that you have experienced a history of brokenness and surrender. Wow. You only trust in God to the degree that you have experienced brokenness and surrender. And so when the situation is out of my hands and out of my control and I didn't choose it and I didn't want it, I have two choices. The next time I can can settle in my spirit that I'm not going to let that happen again. I can harden up. I can can grab tighter hold on the things around me or I can say, let the brokenness of God flow through me. God, I didn't choose this. I didn't want it. And I can surrender it into His hands. And when I choose that path, I'm putting it firmly in the grip of God who can hold it through every difficulty that, that it comes under. Brokenness and surrender are the antidotes to an illusion of control. They understand that the freedom is found in fully trusting and relying on God. And if God has spoken anything to this group of people, to us, to me, over the last six weeks, it has been to trust Him, to trust in Him, to rely on Him. And so if you're dealing with an issue of control, why? What is driving you? What is driving your need to hold hold too tight to the things that in reality you can never really control? Because the truth is, what you hold on to tightly has a tendency to always slip through your hands. We would love for you to visit us at 1110 South Preston Street, Burt Texas. And as always, we encourage you to come experience life with us after Ripley. Till I found myself.